I thought about starting a series of messages today on um, titled something like um, The Church I Want to Pastor and characteristics, I guess. But uh, in light of Dr. Van S. message last week on this Jesus of Church and not my church, I thought maybe that wouldn't be good. So I um, thought about being a real relevant preacher and up-to-date and very contemporary preacher and, and uh, talk a little bit about uh, some of the troubles that we saw one of the congressmen got into this week um, in his press conference. I, f- I found a sermon in his press conference. Uh, because he stood there in front of the world and, and said that he didn't break any house rules. And sometimes we hear people say things like, um, well, uh, what's wrong with that? It's not in the Bible. There's nothing against that in the Bible. Even though the church of Jesus Christ throughout, throughout uh 2,000 years have had a corporate mind that some things are conducive and, and good for Christians and some things are not, even though they may not be in the Bible. But I thought I'd save that for another time and we'll go there sometime. Uh, I want to be a biblical preacher. I, I hope that you come every Sunday and you don't come to get your ears tickled. You don't come to be entertained. Um, I hope you come to hear truth. I don't know too many places in this world um, other than the church of Jesus Christ or maybe listening to a radio program sponsored by a, a, a ministry. And, and by the way, I failed to do this in the first service, and I'm going to be a little bold here, but uh, in the past I've had a radio ministry and um, of just little short uh, one-minute words of wisdom from God's Word. And, and I'm just wondering if that would possibly be a good thing to be able to do and to be able to get God's Word out uh, to people who need that, uh, to be sponsored by Xenia Church of the Nazarene. But I would uh, like that to be done outside of our church's budget. I don't know if you have a heartbeat for trying to get the truth of God's Word out in a loving, gracious, relevant way. But... Um, God has gifted me in somewhat in that area, and if you would like to, to, to participate in that, uh, I, I would like to continue that. And so if, if you can talk to me concerning that, if you would be interested in the spreading of God's Word in that way. But that's, I want to be a biblical preacher. I, I, I don't want to be able to, to preach out of the uh, Sunday morning newspaper. I, I, I don't want you to come here to hear Mark's opinion, because Mark's opinion, it means nothing. Because you have an opinion. I have an opinion. All God's children have opinions. And it doesn't mean anything. What God's Word has said means a lot. I, I, I have nothing. I have zero to offer you outside of what this Word says. I have nothing to offer you. So I, I hope that you come, not for some good music, and the music is great and we're thankful for that and it helps us to usher into worship. I know that. I, I, I hope that you don't just come to, to, to see family and friends and that's good and fellowship of, of, of Christian people is a marvelous benefit of church. I hope that you come to be comforted, to be challenged, to be convicted by God's Word. And on this Pentecost Sunday, it is the Holy Spirit that does that challenging, that does that comforting, that does that convicting. Anytime I as the preacher or any preacher tries to do convicting, we fall flat on our face. Even though sometimes we kind of 
would like to do a little convicting maybe. It's up to the Holy Spirit. And, and I honor the Holy Spirit as I say what God's Word says. And don't go farther than God's Word says. And don't fall back and, 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 and shy back from the truth. I say exactly what God's Word says and no more or no less than that. It's the kind of preacher that, that I want to be able to be. And I hope that's the type of congregation. I have found that, that unchurched people, unbelieving people, they can handle the truth if it's delivered in a loving, gracious, relevant way. I can ha they, can ha they may not even agree with it, but they will respect the truth if it's de delivered in a loving, gracious, relevant way. We don't have to shy away from speaking the truth of God's word. And far be it from me if I'm ever politically correct, and you call me out if, if I am. Uh, so in light of that, what does a guy preach on his first Sunday? And I, I thought this morning, maybe I'd do something that's rather, rather, maybe rather silly for me to do, but in the next uh, 25 minutes or 30 minutes or 35 minutes, or I want to preach the whole Bible to you. <laughs> so you sit back, okay? The Bible is a book. Like any book, it has a storyline. It has a plot. And the same storyline goes all the way through God's Word. There's a thread of the same thing going all the way through. It's one of the great proofs that I understand as the inspiration uh, of God's inspiration of this book because it tells the same story all the way through. The Bible can be separated into, in, into three segments, at least the way I understand it. Maybe someone else would understand it a different way, but in my simple mind, the way I understand it, the Bible can be separated into, into three segments. And the first segment of the Bible is just the first two chapters. There's 11, more than 1,100 chapters in God's Word, but the first, first segment is the first two chapters. You cannot, you cannot underestimate the importance of the first two chapters of God's Word. You cannot overestimate the importance of Genesis 1-1. Because if you can believe Genesis 1-1, it's no big deal for me to believe that God parted the Red Sea. If you can believe there's a God outside of nature that did that, there's no problem believing that uh, man can live inside the belly of a whale. He's in charge of nature. Created it. Spoke it into existence. If you can get past that verse of Scripture... Isn't it, isn't it, it's just amazing how God just, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't ease us into his word. He just smacks us right in the face. He just smacks us right in the face. And it isn't it interesting he doesn't make any argument for himself. He doesn't spend a whole book of the Bible arguing why he exists. He simply says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. He just assumes 
that we assume he is. You didn't get that, did you? That's, but that's big. He just assumes that we assume he is. And that's why he later says the man is a fool that doesn't believe in God. In the beginning, God created that heaven. If I can get past that verse of Scripture, it's, not, it's no big deal for me to believe that God can shut the mouths of lions. And it's no big deal for me to be able to believe that God can keep three Hebrew children alive in a fiery furnace. It's no belief that no big deal for me to believe that water can be turned into wine. That, that 5,000 can be fed from a little basket of bread. If I can get past that verse. That's why that verse is the battleground. That's why there are people devoted to making sure that, that their understanding of the creation of the world or their understanding of the formation of the world is something other than that because they know the importance of of that verse, because that verse means that God is the creator, and that verse it means that we are His creation, and everybody knows creators have ownership. That's why they battle it. That's why the secular word battles it. They know the battleground is right there. It's right there. Someone has said that if I will never be able to believe that God is a creator and I will never see myself as a creature, then I also will never be able to see myself as a sinner. That's in need of a Savior. Now, I, that's a pretty good statement. That if you'll never be able to see God as a creator and, and us as a creatures, I'll never be able, to be able to make the jump to see myself as a sinner in need of a Savior. The secular world knows that verse means ownership. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And you cannot underestimate the importance of the most impactful ten words that have ever been put down on a sheet of paper. You cannot underestimate the importance of Genesis 1 and 2. Don't go to Genesis 1 and 2 looking for science. Don't go to Genesis 1 and 2 looking for biology. Don't go to Genesis 1 and 2 looking for times, looking for places, looking for number of years. God has chosen not to reveal that to us. Remember what I said? I want to go just as far as the Bible goes and no farther. God has chosen not to reveal to us times and places and hows and whats and whens. He just said over 30 times in Genesis 1 and 2, the name God or the pronoun he is used. God has come on the scene. The first section of the Bible is God has started something. God has initiated something. Don't, don't major on the, the, the small parts of, of events and times and places. Major on the whole. And the whole of Genesis 1 and 2 is that God has done something. He is the creator. That's why the Church of the Nazarene, in their statement on creation, says we, we disavow any theory of creation that is godless. I don't know how God did it. And you don't either. And no one does. The word simply says he spoke this world into his existence. Now, what, what happened when he spoke? Did it? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And why don't I know? Because the Bible doesn't say. Anything else is speculation. 
It's speculation. We avoid, we disavow any godless form of creation. One old preacher said, well, they talk about the Big Bang. The Big Bang's okay with me as long as God's the Big Banger. When he said, let, maybe there was an explosion. I don't know. Genesis 1 and 2 says God is working. God is created. God is moved on the scene. And that's what we get out of Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, one scholar says in the beginning can be translated as at some point. <laughs> and, I, and be sure you know that... that um, the beginning of God wasn't in Genesis 1-1. The beginning of heavens and earth. The beginning of God wasn't there. The start of God was more like in John 1-1. The beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And He was with God. The formation of the world. The beginning of God is in, in Psalm 90. It talks about he was there before the formation of the world. I don't how God is eternal. He has always existed. It's, I can't get my mind wrapped around that. God didn't start in Genesis 1-1. God had no beginning and God had no end. Has no end. Don't underestimate the first two chapters of the book. Say what it says. Don't go any farther. Believe what God has chosen to reveal to us. And don't speculate. Speculation that I make is simply that, speculation. It's speculation. What he has said is he has created. He has created. And that's why we as a church will disavow any godless form of creation. First part, God initiated. God started God moves on the scene. A lot of mystery in the first three verses of Scripture. A lot of mystery. And we'll, we'll, get, we'll, we'll get there eventually. But then a lot of research on Genesis 1, 2, 3. We'll get there, but there's a lot of mystery in verses 1, 2, and 3. A lot of mystery. He's chosen that to decide we don't need to know that. We don't need to know all the particulars. Second part of, of Scripture. First two parts are just the first two verses. First part is just the first two verses. And the second part, first two chapters, excuse me. First two part is just the next seven verses. Over 30,000 verses of Scripture. Well, one whole section has to be the next seven verses. Because God has initiated, God has started, now man chose. You expect a guy to preach three months on choices to be able to say that, won't you? God initiated, God started. Then seven verses that man chose. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, you may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat from the fruit. The, the whole apple thing is, is folk theology. Okay, bumper sticker theology. No, nowhere does it mention an apple. Could have been a pawpaw. <laughs> Y'all know what a pawpaw is? My papaw had pawpaw trees. 
You must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. These seven verses, without them, the Bible, it makes no sense. Because you, you finish verse chapter 2, and, you know, man and woman's in paradise. They, they, they can just eat from anything they want to except that tree right there in the middle. They just, they're just having time of life. God's walking with them in the cool of the day. Now, leave out these next seven verses, and you have to go to 3-8 where they're hiding from God. And you have to, what happened? That's why some people said these seven verses are the pivot point of the Bible. The Bible turns right here. The Bible hinges right here. And indeed, now, we can't take these seven verses out because we, we, we've known them for so long, so it's amazing to us. But if you could just imagine, if these seven verses weren't there, and you ended with Genesis 2, everything was great, everything was hunky-dory, and they were chilling out with God in the garden, but they go to Genesis 3, 8, and now they're hiding from God, you say, what happened? That's what happened. Man made a choice. Man made a choice. And that choice was not to believe God. The issue here is not obedience. The issue was that God said something, and they had a choice when the serpent came and, came and lied to them and deceived them. They had a choice whether to believe God or whether to believe the lie. It's not primarily an issue of obedience here because the choice of belief comes first, and obedience is just a byproduct from that belief. So they had a choice. Are they going to stand on God's word? Are they going to accept God's word? Are they going to stand on the promise that God gave them? Or are they going to be able to figure it out in their own mind and lean on their own understanding and buy the lie of the devil? They had a choice, and we do every day. Every day. Every day. Every day. It's interesting to note that sin is not this outside force that came into the garden. It's just not this floating around somewhere and somehow in a crack or crevice in the garden seeped into the garden. If that was true, you'd be mad at God and say, well, why didn't God? Perfect God. Make it a perfect place and keep that sin out. That's not because what sin is. Sin is a product of choice. Sin is a product of our own free will. And they had a choice to believe, stand on his word, or not. And they made a poor choice. And we suffer today because of that, because we have a, a sinful nature, the Bible tells us, because of that choice. We inherited from our first father. We each have a bent to do what we want to do. And anyone, Christian or not, that denies that is not being honest. We have a bent to want it my way. 
a quintessential verse on sin, but James chapter 1 has a maybe what I, how I understand sin. When tempted, no one say, well, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when? All right, this gets really important right now. But each one is tempted when? By his own evil desire. But each one is tempted when the devil jumps on my back. The devil can't jump on anything on my back and tempt me in any area that I have no desire. The devil knows. He he can't tempt me with a homosexual relationship. He can't tempt me with that. There's no desire there whatsoever. But he could tempt me with a a relationship, with a heterosexual relationship outside of my marriage. He, he, He knows where our areas are. He knows where they are. And when, it, when it, by each his own evil desire. So what do I pray against? Oh, God, protect me. Oh, God, protect me. Well, that's okay. But why don't I pray against my own evil desire? Take this desire out. Change this desire. I don't want to have this desire, God. Take it away from me. Take it away from me. I walked the streets of Danville, Illinois, as a young two- or three-month Christian. And I asked God to take this desire to go to the riverboats and to go to Vegas away from me. I was a regular in Vegas. And and I said, God, you've got to take this desire away from me because I know I'm going to fall. I know I'm going to give in to it. Take this desire away from me. And somewhere along the way, not next week or the next month, I don't know when, it's gone. I don't have that desire anymore. He'll tell, he, can, he can get down at that deepest root of us. That's why I'm a Nazarene, because we just don't have to sin every day in work, thought, and deed. He gets down at that decision-making point of us, at that very root of our desire, and can make that godly. Can make that godly. And to deny that is to, is to deny his power and his strength. And to, and to deny that is to say that he's a little God, and he can't really do anything. I think he can get to those desires and change them. My heart, it hasn't been overnight. It's been a continual conversation with him. God, I shouldn't be thinking that right now. God, I don't want to feel that anymore. When by our own desire, where he is dragged away and enticed. I can't be enticed by anything that I don't have a desire for. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown. I really don't know what full grown sin means. I haven't got there yet. But it's full grown, gives birth to death. Genesis 3, 1 through 7, man's choice. Interesting that one, the ancients have taught us that sin, I think this is really good, that sin is a perversion of the good. All that God has created is good. He's a good God. He can't create anything that's bad. So all that sin is, is taking something that God has created, some good thing, and using it outside the bounds of what God has created for. Taking it outside the boundaries that God has said that should be used for. So I I come along, and there's nothing wrong with money, and God has given us a means to trade and to buy and to sell, and there's nothing wrong with that. But man comes along, and we lust after money. And it becomes sin. There's nothing wrong with, with, 
with, with close friendships, men in close friendship with other men and women in close friendships with other women, but, but, but man's choice comes along and, and, and we have homosexual relationships. And by the way, especially in light of what happened this past week in D.C., texting is not evil. The Internet is not evil. I've heard people say, oh, the Internet is horrible. Hollywood is not evil. Hollywood would stop making those movies if nobody would go to them. Hollywood is simply about this. Hollywood would make nothing but Winnie the Pooh if that's the only thing people wanted. It's man's choice with the Internet. It's man's choice with what, what we buy and buy a ticket to man's choice with, with, with texting. It's man's choice with all the new social media and technology. It's not in and of itself bad. It's all moral. It has no morality at all. It's man's choice. Don't get down on the internet. Don't get down on the new technology. Get down on man. It's like the old boy, that, the theologian that read in a letter to the editor and said, what's the problem of the world? And the old theologian wrote, wrote back and wrote two words because I am. God initiated. Man chose. Third part of the Bible is Genesis 3.8 through the end of the Revelation. It's God's reaction. It's God's response. Your man made a poor choice. You see those three things over and over again in Scripture. God shows up on the scene. Man has a responsibility to choose, and God responds. You see it all over and over again. God shows up. God takes the initiative. Man responds. Man decides. God reacts. God responds. Genesis 3. I don't know what I would have done if I was God. I would have said, I've given these people everything. I'm out of here. They don't deserve it. I, in my humanity, I turned my back. I can't believe they bit me in the back that way. But God shows up in Genesis 3, 8. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to them, called to the man, and said, Where are you? What's God's response? I give up. I'll make me a new man, a new woman. Could have done that. But our God, our God comes and says, where are you? In response to my poor choices, in response to your poor choices, God comes and says, where are you? Why are you? Conviction of sin is one of the ways God keeps us. Think if there was no conviction of sin. We wouldn't even know we were out of line. 
God comes to all of us today. But where are you? This good, this gracious, this loving, this merciful God does not throw his hands up, does not turn his back. He comes to his creation that's made a poor choice, that's turned his, that did not believe, that, that, that did not be able to accept everything God made for them. And he, he doesn't throw his hands up. He just comes back and says, where are you, child? Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Oh, there's consequences. You read a little farther in Genesis 3, there's consequences. God has put in, 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 in the fabric uh, uh, of, of this world uh, a law that, that what we will sow, we will eventually reap. There will be consequences for our behavior, and there are consequences. There are consequences. Do you know that you can be marvelously, graciously, miraculously forgiven, but you still got to deal with consequences? I'm 52 years old, been a Christian since I was 34 years old. I still have to deal with consequences for my pre-Christian life. Still have to deal with consequences for my pre-Christian life. But that gracious God comes to all of us, and he does it through the moving of his spirit. On this Pentecost Sunday, the spirit was given to convict open our eyes. And if you've ever sensed something like, where are you, child? Thank the Holy Spirit. Thank the good and gracious God who loves you so much. He doesn't want you to drift so far away. He convicts you to bring you back to the straight in there. So my question to me and my question to all of us today is where are we? Where are we? Can we stand together? In the quietness of this moment, I just want you to talk to the Father. If you've sensed your thumb in his back, if his thumb in your back, and, and this question of where are you, or, or just something along the message today, God has just kind of tapped you on the back. Would you talk to the Father, this loving, gracious Father who doesn't turn his back on you, who simply says, where are you, child? Would you talk to the Father right now, please? God hasn't moved. If, if, we're, if there's distance, to us has moved. God is where he's always been. To us has moved. 
God's response, God's reaction is, where are you to our poor choice? Now we have to respond. We have to respond. Will we admit? Will we own up? Will we say, my fault? My bad? Will we take responsibility? Or will we make an excuse? Point the finger somewhere else. There is no redemption plan for those who won't admit. There is no redemption plan for those who won't take responsibility and own up. In this moment, if you need to do that, you can do it right where you're standing. pastor would love to pray for you about that. would love to know about that. Share, share things with me so I can help, help you in prayer, help you in your walk. Father, you're a good God. You're a good God. You're gracious, you're merciful, you're forgiving. You keep coming after us. Hound of heaven. Searching us out. Thank you for that. blessing. May we leave this church, but not leave your presence. May we cultivate your presence all week long. And Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, which was your response to our poor choices. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You are dismissed.